0: Hey everyone, this is Tim Harris. I'm the pastor of Woodburn Baptist Church and this is our weekly podcast. Hope it encourages you. Hope it makes you want to be closer to Jesus and more like him. Hope you enjoy this sermon. And if you want to know more about us, find us online at woodburnbaptist.org. Good morning. Oh, that was weak. Good morning. That's a little better. Uh, My name is Jason. I am the youth and young adult pastor here at Wilburn Baptist. I am not Tim Harris. I'm sorry. Um, I told the other services, I know it's like going to a concert to see like Dolly Parton, a legend, and getting me. I'm so sorry. But um, we are going to follow scripture. We're going to just look at what God has in store for us. Um, I just am thankful for the opportunity to share with you guys. So thank you for just kind of bearing with us. Um, This season, I know today is not the the best representation, but it's been a pretty amazing fall so far, right? It's been beautiful, it's been sunny, it's been uh, crisp, cool air, but not so cold, and just perfect, I feel like, the last couple weeks. Um, and this season's kind of my favorite, just the last four months, I guess, of the year. It's beautiful, the weather's changing, you have some amazing things to, and holidays to look forward to. It's just, it's just a fun time of the year. I don't enjoy the allergies that come with it um, and things like that, and then there's also about every two years or so, there's what we have this year, the election coming, right? Um, Now, I'm not talking politics this morning, but um, this is the time of year we begin hearing about lots of new laws being made or presented and changes being made, and it's almost something every day, right? We hear about something that is going on and people are trying to push something through every day. Anybody remember... Years ago, um, as a kid growing up, watching Schoolhouse Rock, anybody remember that? Yeah, a few of you. Um, I'm Just a Bill. Remember that song, little Bill, cartoon guy running around? He just kind of gave us the process of how a bill is made into a law, right, that goes to to D.C. and presented to the House and Senate and all that stuff, and it has to go through, and and then eventually becomes uh, a law after the president signs off on it. And I know there's a lot of intricacies involved in that, but that's the basics of it. Now, when someone presents something to be maybe to be changed, a change to a law that's existing or to present a new law, um, they really don't risk a whole lot by presenting this. Now, they might have some repercussions to their career if it doesn't go well, or they might have some backlash here and there, but as a whole, they're going to go home and go to bed and continue to live their life, right? Now, contrast that to ancient Greece. I know that we don't hear a lot about what goes on in ancient Greece, but um, it's just interesting to me. So there's a there's a place in ancient Greece called Locris, which is now made up of several of our current cities in Greece. But um, they had a process of presenting laws and creating laws and things like that that was very unique. So if you wanted to present a new law to to be voted on or maybe change an existing law in ancient Greece, you had to present this to a thousand council council members. Um, And you had to present it standing on a, a pedestal of sorts that was removable with a rope around your neck. And so, if it goes through, great, you're good to go, but if it was voted down, the the penalty would be death. Um, And as you can imagine, not many people presented laws to be voted on. In a period of 200 years, there was only one change made, one law that was changed. And that was because they had to fully commit to that, right? There was no, um, there's no net safety net, and you, you contrast that to our current Congress that's been in session since January of 2021. It's been like 175 laws that have changed, um, and the reason for that is because you can present something and not really have major consequences if it doesn't go through. Right? There's no, there's no worries of that. So there, the commitment level is a little bit smaller. But in ancient Greece, you had to be 100% fully committed if you wanted to present this. And so we're going to be looking at a story that talks about commitment. It's in the book of Daniel, very familiar passage for you guys. Daniel chapter three, you can go ahead and start turning there. Um, And the idea of being so committed to something. And as you're turning there, I want you to think through the commitments or things that you would consider as commitments in your life this morning, There's probably multiple things that you would consider yourselves committed to, uh, varying levels of time, varying levels of importance, maybe uh, different types of people, maybe family members, friends, those kinds of things you're committed to those relationships. But the question is with all of these commitments, how can we really pour ourselves into all them properly? How can we be fully committed to each and every one of these things? And, And what varying level of degree of commitment is required? And necessary, and and what are we called to do? And so, you think, okay, well, these are very important things. I've narrowed it down. Maybe your list is smaller, and and then you have to determine what are you going to commit to first. Because sometimes things overlap or over uh, get into each other's areas, and you got to determine which one comes first. Well, let's look at this story, and we'll talk about that. Daniel chapter three, starting in verse eight. Some of the Chaldeans went to the king and informed on the Jews They said to King Nebuchadnezzar Long live the king you, must, you issued a decree requiring all the people to bow down To worship the ghost statue When they hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipes And other musical instruments That decree also states that those who refuse to obey Must be thrown into a blazing furnace but there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have put in charge of the province of Babylon. They pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods and do not worship the gold statue you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. And when they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is this true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue that I have set up? I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue that I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you'll be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to save you and rescue you from my power? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God who we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, We want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the statue that you have set up. Verse 19, Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. He commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. And then he ordered some of the strongest men in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So they tied them up. They threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. And because the king, in his anger, had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the men in. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. But suddenly, Nebuchadnezzar jumps up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Well, yes, your majesty, we did. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound, walking around in the fire unharmed. And the fourth looks like a god. Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the most high God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. Then the high officers, the officials, the governors, and advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their heads was singed. Their clothing was not scorched and they didn't even smell of smoke. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any God except their own. Therefore, I make this decree. If anyone, whether their race or nation or language, speak a word against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn limb from limb, and their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. There is no other God who can rescue like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to even higher positions in the province of Babylon. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you so much for giving us clear instructions on how to live our lives. God, I pray that you please help us to break this down in the way that you would have us to understand it this morning. God, I pray that you get rid of distractions, things that are on our minds, our grumbling stomachs as we think about lunch. I pray that you please help us to push all that back so that we can focus on you for the next few minutes and hear exactly what you brought us here to understand, God. We love you and we praise you, amen. Now, I know I dropped you kind of in the middle of the story, but most of you probably know this story and what has come before. But Nebuchadnezzar, you know, is a, is a king, now the king, and he has kind of taken captive these young men, some of the fittest, the brightest young men from Judah, brought them over and, and been training them and trying to mold them into what he wants them to do and placing them into different areas of, of, of authority over a certain areas so that things would get done the way he wanted. And, of course, the king had begun to kind of get a big head and get a little bit prideful. And so he created this statue and he says, why don't we just have everybody, as soon as they hear music, no matter where they are, what they're doing, that they need to bow down and worship this altar or this, this statue. And so he sent out this message far and wide, all the lands, all the officials, that this was the law. And so now we're here with these guys who have already made the decision that they weren't gonna bow down to this statue. They were committed to God and they were gonna stay committed and they were not going to bow down to an idol. They were not going to compromise. And they knew the consequences, right? They had been told the consequences. They knew they were very real and very dangerous. So the question these guys have to answer literally is, do I stay committed to God and and die or do I compromise and and live? Now there's a misnomer that's, that's going around, especially in the world, outside of the Christian faith, but there's the, the idea that if you, if you are a believer, if you're a follower of Christ, then your, your life will be kind of uh, empty of conflict. And that's, as if, if I asked everyone in this room who is a believer, they would say, that's absolutely not true. We know that's not true, right? If you're a believer, you're a follower of God, your life is still going to, ex- you're gonna experience conflict in life. Um, the, but the reality is a committed life will be marked with times of conflict, right? A committed life will be marked with times of conflict. And Jesus reminds us that here in John chapter 16, he says, here on this earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. He's, he knows that you're going to encounter some difficult times in your life. So this morning, I kind of want us to look at the idea of commitment in a, in a, in a way that is complete and total commitment, When life offers us so much amazing things, we can become overwhelmed with the choices and the things that we are pouring ourselves into, whether it's relationships or our jobs or our hobbies, and we need to remind ourselves, well, why does God need to come first? These are all great things. Why does he receive our full and total commitment? There are countless things you can commit to, and if you were honest, if we all kind of sat down, if I asked you to write out all your commitments, you'd probably list God on that list or I hope you would. Some of you might even list him pretty high and maybe a few of you as number one because that's what you're supposed to do. But if we are really honest with ourselves and how we live our lives and where our commitments actually lie, is God really the first and fullest commitment in your life? And if he's not, I would ask you how that's working out for you. Uh, There's a story you might have heard about this man, Luciano Pavarotti. He was a famous opera singer, a famous tenor. Um, He passed away not too long ago, a little over a decade ago, Um, but he was um, just world-renowned in his gift of singing. And he um, he tells a story, he was doing an interview uh, later in life, and he was talking about how it came to be, and his father was a baker, and so his father realized at a young age that Pavarotti was, was um, a good singer, and so he enjoyed that. So he encouraged him to, to train. He encouraged him to get to know his voice and to, to build that up. And so he, he began that process. And as he got older and he was thinking about careers, he began to think, okay, yes, I'll enjoy singing, I enjoy music, but I also enjoy teaching. And so he actually, Luciano Pavarotti, actually enrolled in uh, school to be a teacher. So he sat down with his father and his father said, okay, you can't sit in two chairs. If you sit in two chairs, you're gonna fall between them. You need to choose one chair. And so as we know, he chose singing, he chose music. and so he said in this interview that it took him seven years from that point on to be get his first professional engagement singing. And then it took him another seven years before he can make it to the Metropolitan Opera, which was kind of like, to the, that's, where, that's, that's it for opera singers. And then he said this, he said, and now I think whether if it's laying bricks or writing a book or whatever we choose to do, that we should give ourselves to it. Commitment, that's the key. You choose one chair. So when it comes to commitment, you have to make a choice, right? Something or someone needs to come first, depending on whatever circumstance or situation you're in. So the question is for you guys, okay, what should come first? I'm asking you, what should come first or who should come first? Jesus, right? This is church. You can say Jesus. That's the right answer. Jesus, God, however you want to say it, that's the right answer. He should come first. And I know you're thinking, okay, we hear this all the time. We can close our Bibles. We can go home now. That's not is easy in practice as it is to say, right? We come to church, we know that Jesus should be the first. So I want us to look at how are we supposed to make Jesus that first and full commitment in our life in a world that is so contrary to what scripture tells us. When a world that is full of sin and full of real consequences, how are we supposed to do this? And so you're asking maybe yourself, of all the things in my life that that are amazing, the people that God has placed in my life, all the 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 gifts that God has given me, the passions that God has given me? Why should my commitment be to God before any of these things? I love my family, I love my friends. Why should I commit to God first? And the truth is, we can debate this and make this as complex as we want to, but the answer to that question is really as simple as this. We commit to God first because he is worthy. We commit to God first because he is worthy. These three guys, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego never forgot who God was in their life. They never forgot what God was capable of. Their life was full of ups and downs, right? They remembered God first because he was worthy to commit their lives to whatever or wherever life would take them and it took them in places, and two places that they never wanted to be. They were taken away from their family and their friends and their loved ones, taken to a strange land and tried to, to be taught things that were contrary to their beliefs and to their convictions and they were uncomfortable. But this is where God had brought them and they still con- decided that they were gonna be committed to him and their life of commitment wasn't because God offered them something. They didn't say, you know, okay, God, I will commit to you if you do X, Y, and Z. No, it was like, we're gonna commit to you because you're worthy nothing else matters. If we want to be fulfilled, fulfillment's a kind of a buzzword. Everybody wants to be fulfilled. If we want to be fulfilled and everybody does, everybody wants to be satisfied, And if we want that in this life, then we need to seek the one who does the fulfilling. And and the thing is, our commitment to to God is not what fulfills us, although he, he wants us to be committed to him. The commitment itself is not what fulfills us. What fulfills us is the object of our commitment, who we are committed to. It's God. He is the one who fulfills us. We can be committed to a lot of things, right? We can even be committed to amazing, great things, but they will never fulfill us for eternity. They will never fulfill us in a way that's sustaining. They might be fun, they might be enjoyable, might even be some great causes, but they will never fulfill us in a way that is satisfying and sustaining. But God can and God will. He will sustain us through anything and then we think, okay, why is he worthy? Well, let me give you just a few examples of why he is worthy. For one, he is personal. He is personal to you. He's not just this big God that sits on a throne and just knows you by number. He knows you by name and he knows everything about you. Philippians 4.19 says, and this same God who takes care of me will supply all of your needs according to, from his riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. He will supply everything. He knows your needs before you know your needs. He's personal. He's sovereign. Colossians 1, 17, he existed before anything and he holds all the world in his hands. He is faithful. I love this passage, Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin fresh every morning. He is faithful to provide for us every single day, no matter what the day might bring. And he is for you. He is for me. He is for us. Romans 8, 28, we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. He loves you, he is for you, he wants the best for you. What or who in the world is capable of these things? Only God, that is it. He alone is worthy of our first and fullest commitment. And and that can start today you know, that's what I wanna challenge you this morning is to determine where your first commitment lies. And if it's not God, how do you begin to make that shift to, to bring God into focus as your first commitment and your fullest commitment? The thing is, we tend to think about Um, our relationship with God, or we just think about God in general, when things are difficult, right? When things are rough and we don't know what to do or what's gonna happen or we got a tough choice to make, something ahead of us or a tragedy, that's when we begin to think about God and we think about, okay, I need to be committed to him and following him. But as we've learned from, from Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, the time to be committed is not necessarily when you're in the fire, but before the fire ever comes. Right. We shouldn't wait for things to be difficult before we shift our commitment to God. We commit to God now in the normal so that you can recognize him in the abnormal. We commit to him now when things are just normal so that when things become abnormal, we know what to do. Initially, these guys... Maybe they thought, okay, if I don't, if we don't bow down to the statue, maybe we can slip by and nobody will notice. Maybe we know that there's consequences out there, but maybe people won't notice. Or maybe our positions will grant us a little favor and maybe things will will, will just kind of slip under the radar. But now where we pick up in this story, they have been caught, they've been arrested, they've been brought before the king and now he is angry and he is screaming at them, demanding that they change their minds, that they follow suit and that they make an immediate choice to bow down. And so now they have this kind of heat of the moment choice to make with real consequences. Now, these guys were fully committed to God, right? They had been instinctively following him. They did not just decide on this day that they were going to follow God. Or be committed to God. They had decided this long before, long before they were ever in this kind of pressure situation where they had to determine if they were going to be committed to God or face and face death or or, or compromise. They had already decided that they were going to stay with God. They were going to, to. They had already decided. You know, when my core convictions are challenged, this is what I'm going to do. I'm gonna stay committed. And, and like us, just like these young guys, this, this type of response, immediate kind of just snap of the finger response to stay committed to God doesn't always happen in, in, in the heat of the, the flame uh, on its own. It's, it's an overflow of an intimate relationship that we have with Jesus. It's, it's because of a relationship we have with Jesus that we're able to respond in the way that he would have us respond. The decision to be fully committed to God can be made easier when it's made out of that overflow of, of, of that relationship that we have with God rather than when you're just kind of in the fire. The best time to learn how to put out a fire is before the fire's ever started, right? You know, when firefighters, they train and train and train so that they understand how fire works, the different types of fire, the different types of fuel, so that when they are faced in, in a, in a split-second decision on how to address the flames in front of them, they know exactly what to do because they have built a relationship with it. Uh, a lot of you probably don't know this about me, but I love to ride motorcycles and four-wheelers. Um, since I moved to Bowling Green, we live in a subdivision. that's just not a lot of opportunity to do that. Uh, but I grew up on, on land and we had um, you know, ATVs and things like that, and I just love to be out on those. And so, we had a four-wheeler that I just kind of, it became part of me. And um, I rode that thing hard. I rode it hours and hours and hours a day and spent a lot of time on it, so I knew it well. Uh, the thing was, I rode it so hard that the brakes were always going out. I wore the brakes out all the time. My dad uh, and I would change those. I say my dad and I usually just my dad and I would watch um, and tell him what I think about it. But um, he would change the the, the brakes on that all the time. But there were a lot of times, you know, in between where we just didn't have I just didn't have brakes, and I. I I knew how the machine would operate. I knew how it would respond because I had spent hours and hours on it. So when I was riding through those trails going way too fast and I needed to make a split second decision, I knew exactly how this machine would respond according to what I did because I had an intimate relationship with it. I knew it well because I had spent hours and days and weeks and months and years with it, building a relationship, so to speak. I was familiar with it. And so I knew in the heat of the moment how to respond. We spend time committing to God every day in the normal so that when things become abnormal and maybe have a split second decision that we need to make, we are understanding what he would have us to do. We know him well enough at that point to make the right choice. You learn to follow him on those normal days, you get to know his voice, how he talks to you so that you can recognize that when you're panicked and having to make that split second decision. So that's when we when we face those abnormal situations, our commitment is challenged and, and we can hopefully know God well enough to, to hear his voice and respond and know what to do. In fact, again, if you've been committed to God long enough and you know him well enough, you might be able to respond in the way that he would without even hearing him speak. You have best friends, you have maybe your family that you're really close to that you know really, really well because you spent a lot of time with them and you can you can, know exactly what they're gonna say. If you put a situation in front of them, okay, this is what they're gonna say. This is how they're gonna act. This is how they'll respond. You know that because you spent a long time developing a relationship with them. You know them instinctively. If you do that with God, you will know him instinctively and you'll know what he would want for you to do without even having him having to speak a word. And so, okay, you're thinking this makes sense for those pop-up in the moment, heat of the moment situations where I need to, to, to know, I know I need to be prepared for those, but what about those different kinds of situations? What about if the decision has real consequences that I don't really like either side of, I have to mull this over for a few months? Or what about if, if, if the outcomes require me to suffer consequences if I follow God, if I, if I remain committed to God, what if I have to, be, to, to have some kind of consequence? What if following God goes against everything the world is telling you? What if my commitment to God requires me or my kids to miss out on something? These are real situations in our world, right? These are decisions that a lot of us have to face every single day. And I wish that I could tell you there's some fancy formula that just this is how you figure it out and this is the answer, but it comes down to a simple reality. And it's this, that we commit to obeying God regardless of the outcome. We commit to obeying God, regardless of the outcome. I know it's another one of those things that's easier said than done, but this is where our faith is tested. This is where faith comes in. It has to be developed and tested so that when we get to these moments, we we, put it to the test and we commit to God. Because as humans, we like to know what's gonna happen, right? We like like to have a plan laid out. We like to have all the information gathered and and, and tallied together so that we can make a a well-informed decision. And sometimes we can do that. God gives us knowledge. God gives us a brain to figure things out. But sometimes... We don't have that information. We can't see what's gonna happen. We can't see all of the details. That's not always what God calls us to do. Sometimes he calls us just, hey, I want you to step here. I just, you don't have to know why or how, just do it. Follow him. He asks us to be committed to him before the outcome is ever realized. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they all had a decision to make, right? They had already been arrested for for disobeying the king's orders and and staying committed to God at this point, right? And then now we're here in verse 13 where Nebuchadnezzar, he is just in a rage. He is screaming at these guys. He's placed them in in a position of authority so he might be a little bit mad and uh, maybe embarrassed that they're refusing to follow him. So he gives them another chance, maybe to save face. But he tells them, you guys have the opportunity to make this right, to get out of trouble if you just bow down right now as soon as the music plays to the statue now if we were facing this situation and these guys too could have really they could have weighed these consequences and they could have come up with a lot of legitimate excuses they could have said okay well we're going to we're going to bow down but we're not really going to worship i'm only going to worship god i'm just going to go through the motions or they could have said you know we'll we'll bow down and we'll just ask god to forgive us later cuz he will do that right or this, the, the king, he's our boss. God's going to understand. We have to obey him. God's going to understand that. Or they could have said, you know, there's these guys over here. They've done things so much worse. And God's forgiven them that surely he'll forgive me. And it's not going to hurt anybody if I do this. The list can go on and on and on. And these are logical excuses, right? Things that we do on a daily basis. We, we, we analyze things like this and, and try to weigh it out a lot, any of these excuses could have been justifiable reasons to, to break or, or, or bend their commitment to God, right? They didn't know that God would rescue them in the way that he did. They didn't know how he would go about it. They didn't know if their lives would be spared physically. They knew that God was capable, they made that clear, but they didn't know how or that he would. They, they acknowledged this fact, they said in verse 16, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves to you. If you throw us in, God is capable of saving us, and you know that's, that's, they were okay with that, but they went on even better. But even if he doesn't, we wanna make it clear to you, we will never bow down or worship your statue. That is real commitment. That is complete and total commitment. <clears throat> they know that God is capable, but they also, they, they know that God doesn't always rescue us in the way that we hope he will. That's just, that's just the world we live in, right? We know that God is capable of anything. God doesn't always resolve things in the way that we want it resolved. So they were committed to him no matter the outcome. That's where faith you know, comes in. It's tested and grown when God is not in control. But true commitment obeys God regardless of the outcome. So yes, your decision to remain fully committed to God first might cost you something. It most likely will in this world, because that's the reality of living in a sinful world. It might mean that you or even your family members, your kids might have to miss something. But the awesome thing about God is on the flip side of this is that full commitment to God allows God to do more in your life than you could ever imagine. It might cost you something, but what's gonna come of that is so much better and bigger than you could ever imagine. Look at the rest of the story. The king, he was again so infuriated, his face was distorted with anger. He ho- ordered the furnace be fired up seven times hotter. Hot, it was hot enough initially to kill people, so seven times, that's just unnecessary, but he did this. And he ordered them to be tied up and thrown in, right? And it was so hot that the guys that, that threw him in, they died not even you know, getting in. They were just close to it. And then the king, of course he looks in, there's four people in there and they're not tied up anymore. They're up there walking around. So that shows us that nothing man can do can bind us and keep us away from God. That's another sermon, but he, he is, he's confused. Nebuchadnezzar, he's like, oh, he calls out to them. Come on out here, I wanna talk to you, what's going on? And then they come out and they're perfectly safe, right? They weren't burned. They didn't even smell like smoke, which is amazing. And if that wasn't amazing enough, it gets even better. Here's where it gets really cool. The king was so touched by their faith and their commitment to God that he made sure that no one would ever speak negatively about God. And then he promoted them. He went on a step further and promoted them to positions of higher authority with more responsibility and more influence. God did more in their life and that commitment that they had to him than could have ever been done had they compromised. They might've been saved physically, their their lives might've been spared had they went ahead and bowed down, even if they didn't mean it. But the king and his men would never have witnessed God's mighty power at work right then, right? And then now they're in positions of power and authority where they could make a difference in the lives of the people around them. They weren't seeking a promotion. They didn't wanna be where they, were, they are to start with. They weren't looking for a better job. They weren't looking for any kind of favor. They were just staying committed to God. And because they did that and chose to suffer what potential consequences might have come, they were now in places that they never even thought of before. These aren't doors that they were hoping would open. These are doors they never even knew existed. These were results they hadn't asked for or even thought of. When you commit to God, He will do more in your life than you can ever imagine. I grew up in a small town, small community, it's called Charleston, Kentucky. Similar to to Woodburn, um, except we're not in proximity to like Bowling Green, so there's just farms. For As far as the eye can see, and um, but the church that, that I grew up in is very similar to Woodburn, and my parents were very active and, and so we were there you know before I was born, you know from the womb on, I was in church. Um, I gave my life to Jesus at the age of seven, but it wasn 't until I was thirteen years old, I was actually at youth camp at Jonathan Creek that um, God convicted me that i hadn 't Begun to develop a relationship. I wasn't fully committed to Him at that point. I'd asked Him to come in my life, and I had done that, but I had stayed at that infancy level uh, for those six years until I turned thirteen, and realized, you know what? I, I I'm not fully committed to God. I need to develop a relationship with Him. And so I did. I, I began that process at that point on. And, and as I began to develop that relationship and committed my life to him, he began to open doors for me to do things that I hadn't thought about. He opened doors for me to serve in the church, to, to help with kids at VBS, or to begin being involved in worship and, and different things like that. And so as the years went on, I began to have an opportunity to lead worship in church and to lead a choir. And, and I was teenager. And I loved serving. And at the age of 17, I began to struggle with what now I know was the call to ministry. And at that point, I had only experienced the idea of a full-time ministry you had to be a pastor that's the only position that's full-time and I just I was like I don't God you do not want me to be a pastor what are you, what are you trying to tell me I didn't understand so I began the process like a lot of us do of just listing everything out thinking it through okay if I do this this is what next year is going to look like this is what the next year is going to look like and I began to think it through and plan it out how is this going to work and the thing is <clears throat> I couldn't figure it out because I didn't understand what the future held, I didn't understand what God was calling me to. And so I kept trying to figure it out and and, and all this stuff, I loved working with students, I love music, I love the word of God, but what does that mean for me? I had no idea. So as I was struggling trying to figure this out on my own, God kind of just hit me upside the head and said, listen, you don't need to know what your life is gonna look like in five years. You just need to follow me now. Just follow me now. And at that moment I realized, okay, My only responsibility right then and there was to fully commit to God right then and there and just follow him. He would take care of the rest. And the reason that I knew that that was okay was because I had spent those four years developing and building a relationship with him. I began to recognize his voice. I began to understand. He took care of me in these small situations and in these little bit bigger situations, and he's going to take care of me now. I had comfort with him because I had gotten to know him. So I did, I surrendered my call, surrendered to the call of ministry. And, and I remember telling God, okay, I don't know what this looks like, but I'm, gonna, I'm doing this God, I'm following you. And from that moment, doors began to open. Doors that I had never even thought of, doors that I didn't even know existed were opening for me. I began to have an opportunity to, to teach students in the local community college. And I had the opportunity to pursue a degree in worship that I, I, these things I didn't even know were a thing. And as time went on, I began to see things unfold throughout my life that I never dreamed possible. And that led me, of course, to where I am today. And, and I've seen and experienced things that I, in my life that I could never have imagined before they happened. And looking back, it's just like amazing to see how God worked through those things just because I chose to commit my life to him. Now, I'm not saying that I am anywhere near where I need to be in, in, in that relationship because there are days when I have to constantly remind myself, you know, God first, God first but that's what I do every single morning. You wake up and today, and I'm committing again to you, God, every day. Now, again, my life was far from conflict-free, it still is, but struggles are just part of reality. But I learned through those struggles, whether they were great or small, that um, God was going to take care of me. Again, not always in the way that I dreamed or thought of or hoped, but in ways that were so much bigger than me. I wouldn't have experienced half of what I have in my life if I had chosen to compromise. If I had not stayed committed to God, I wouldn't experience the things that I have. We have this fear of commitment in our world, right? We have a fear of commitment because we don't wanna miss out on something. If I commit to this, that means that I can't maybe do something else that pops up. Or we have a fear of commitment because we don't know what that commitment is gonna cost us. So we have this fear and we, and we kinda of pull back and we want to know how this is gonna work out before I, before I fully commit and trust you, God. And that's just not how it works. True and total commitment comes before the outcome is realized because the reality is God's outcome is so much bigger and so much better than we can imagine. It doesn't mean it's gonna be flashy. Bigger and better is not always flashy. Bigger and better is just better than what we could have imagined. It feels better. It's more fulfilling and more sustaining. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they had all committed their lives to God long before these events took place, right? Right? They had built a relationship with God. They knew that he would take care of them. They didn't know how. They had decided to be fully committed to him no matter what life threw at them. And even when they were faced with death, they said, even if God doesn't save us, I'm not going to compromise. I am not bowing down to your statue. God is worthy of our full and total commitment. And there's no better time to do that than now to give him your full commitment, no matter what the outcome might be. Because the truth is, when you do this, when you commit to God 100%, he's going to be faithful to do more in your life and through your life than you ever thought possible. So the question today is, what are you committed to first? If it's not God first, then you need to reevaluate. And this doesn't mean that the people in your life are not priorities. You are committed to those relationships you should be. It doesn't mean that you don't have responsibilities at work or, or with the other things in the world. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't be committed to all of these things that you enjoy and these relationships that you have in your life. You're commanded to love God and to love people, so do that. But first, commit to God and let him give you everything that you need to fulfill those commitments that you have made in the world. To to love people the way that they need to be loved, to care for people the way they need to be cared for, to do your job the way it needs to be done. So before you can be the best dad or the best mom or the best son or daughter, before you can be the best accountant or realtor or farmer or waiter, before you can be the best anything, you commit to God, the one who gave you those things to start with then you can take care of your family and friends in in the overflow that God has given you, that relationship that you have with him. He is going to allow you to fulfill those commitments that you have made because he comes first. And when he comes first, he's gonna give you the extra energy energy that you need. He's gonna give you the extra brain power that you need. He's gonna give you everything that you need to fulfill those commitments that he's put in your life. And if you don't put him first, you're going to miss out on complete fulfillment in your life. Commit to God first. The first step is to beginning that relationship with Jesus, asking him to come into your heart, asking him to forgive you of your sins and accepting him as your personal savior. But if you've already done that, if you've asked Jesus into your life, now you have a choice. Am I going to commit to him fully or am I going to compromise? Will you live your life committed to his will regardless of the outcomes so that he can show you things beyond your imagination? I pray that you will make that commitment to him this morning. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you so much for being worthy. We thank you so much for being exactly who we need, God. Giving us what we need, teaching us what we need, exactly the right time, God. I pray for each.